Mondays where the Shadow Girls get together, talk about stories, storytelling, dogs, cups of tea, general things that have caught our interest. And more dogs. And more dogs. (laughs) My name is Emily. My name is Georgia. And we are joined, of course, by the three snoring doggos, Bunbury, Squire and Mimi. Uh, Just a bun update, because it's been a while since I did a bun update. Uh, As some of you may know, about six months ago she got hit by a car. You couldn't tell it to look at her today. Definitely not. No, she's jumping up all over the place. She can jump into the car now, which is great. Uh, eating loads of biscuits, eating her weight in biscuits. <laughs> so she's, she's doing really, really well. Yeah, she nearly got into my bag and ate my uh, rice cakes earlier. Sneaky. I know, she she loves food. <laughs> and we love her. Yes. And she's currently curled up asleep on top of Squire. <laughs> no concept of personal space. But as you may have guessed from that preamble, what are we talking about today, Georgia? <gasps> Doggos. Doggos. Doggos, yes. Doggos. Because we did a doggo episode before, but we did two episodes on cats. So oh, yeah, no. We got to rebalance this. So we've, we have to balance the scales. Mm. And you, you may have noticed that our logo has changed to now be a cat. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Certain influences of Orla and the mm. fact that she's also the graphic designer. You may also notice that Orla is, in fact, not present today. Yes. <laughs> so we can bash cats all we like. Uh-huh. Oh, no, we, we'd never actually bash a cat. Oh, God, no. No, no. 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 We, we, I mean, we like cats. I just, I happen to have three dogs and be very fond of dogs. Yeah. For me, again, depends on the cat. Mm. In fact, I, so I have a friend, shout out to Sarah, who loves cats so much that every time I see one, I take a photo or a video and I send it to her, right? Oh, that's so sweet. But last night when I was walking home from a meeting, I saw this movement on the this, this sort of like alleyway that I live and uh, I went to grab my phone because I thought it was a cat it was a badger a, what, a badger? it was a badger in Dunleary? yeah yeah I was really confused Cause in fact yeah I'm not entirely sure like, but I'm, it was definitely I, I, a badger I know there's urban foxes but urban badgers? that's what I was thinking because I thought then oh is that a fox but it was really like low lying and like sort of scuttly and black and white I mean it was dark but yeah, yeah looked like it wow I've actually cool. never seen a badger in real life you know what? That may be the first time I've seen one like alive. Sometimes yeah. in the countryside, they yeah. get hit by cars. Right. Like yeah. I think I've seen a stuffed one in the Natural History Museum. Oh yeah, yeah. The Dead Zoo. <laughs> Love the dead if anyone's in Dublin, go to the Dead Zoo. It's Do great. It. It's like mm. a museum of a museum because it hasn't <laughs> changed since it was opened in eighteen something. Wonderful. Oh, we've already strayed from dogs. <laughs> <laughs> are, are badgers? Are they canines or are they something else? I have no idea. If anyone knows about badgers, please please let us know. Yeah. yeah, also, if you have seen one in the location of yeah. Dunleary. <laughs> yes, the, the famed Dunleary Badger. <laughs> Maybe there's just one. Great, so we've, uh, we've got some stories about dogs. I actually, when we were on, when Bunbury, when we were picking her up from the UCD veterinary clinic, because she had to stay there overnight, and they're the only place that's like open during the night. Uh, when we were picking her up, I was in the sort of waiting area, and I saw they had this book, Fabulous and Famous Dogs. <laughs> and I thought, wow. That's an interesting book. So I uh, ordered it. It was um, it was out of print. It's by Peter Lowe. And it's got some good stories in it. it. It's sort of like one of these old books. It feels like an old children's encyclopedia you'd have in school. I, I'll, I'll put some pictures on the Instagram, but it just... And it smells really yeah. good. It smells really good. It has that sort of old... Li- it has a library smell to it. Yes. Yeah. Which... Uh, oh, the thing I <laughs> learned from QI. Apparently... Books grow a very certain type of mould that is mildly hallucinogenic. That explains so much. So if, like, academics are spending a lot of time in libraries looking at old books... They might see a badger. They might. (laughs) Because the paper, basically, as soon as paper is made, it starts to to very, very slowly 
um, decompose. Of course. So they can grow a very particular type of mould um, based off like the, the glue and stuff uh, that spores are hallucinogenic. So if you're in a library for a long time and you think you come up with a weird theory and you don't know how, spores. Wow. Book spores. That's... Oh. And Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, he was a mathematician. He spent a lot of time in the library. It all makes Maybe. sense. <laughs> I don't know. Wildly, wildly theorising here. Or Mr. Carroll going and sniffing some books. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, can you imagine like glue sniffing, book sniffing? <laughs> Though I do love the smell of like fresh printing. Oh. Like whenever I go to like the theatre or something and I get a programme, I always sniff it. Yeah. My parents think I'm ridiculous. No, but it is. I think it... Yeah, it must be maybe the ink as well or something. There's mm. something, it it like it's like the book smell, but yeah, more fresh. Mm. I don't know. But then when it comes to smells, I mean, like slight tangent. We will mm. come back to doggos. Um, so it's when you take in your sensory information, mm. um, you know, your eyes and 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 your skin and that. Um, those messages tend to get sent to like a central bit of your brain. Mm. I think it's called the thalamus or something like that before being redistributed mm. to the rest of your brain. Whereas when you smell something, those receptors in your nose, when they take that information of like, whether it's your, you know, your mother's perfume mm. or the smell of your dog or a book, yeah. those messages go directly to the regions like the hippocampus and the amygdala. Oh. So that's why smell evokes such strong emotion in people. Mm. It's because it's it's a much more direct line. Mm. So it's, it's I, I think there's a lot of research about connecting sort of like emotions and places and things. Yeah. And memory. Um, and memory, of course. Yeah, that's the big one yeah i can remember my when my brother was studying for i think the leaving cert he had cinnamon sticks and because he said because you know if he then brings the cinnamon stick into the exam he'll remember oh how, uh, how did he do very well hmm cinnamon sticks <laughs> cinnamon or like um chewing gum with that strong minty smell or something oh yeah yeah the only problem is that then like you're walking down the street drinks and turns like <gasps> I remember this equation. <laughs> I don't need that now. <laughs> the campaigns of Alexander the Great. Good times. Good times. But yeah, so you found this book and you yeah, got I yourself a copy. I found this book and I got myself a copy and it's got some great stories in it. There will be some more dog stories coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a wonderful one involving um, a giant dog and then three tiny dogs. But that's not the story I'm going to tell. No. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell a story that seems to be based on a true account from 14th century France under the reign of King King Charles V, Charles the Good, and it is the story of a dog called Dragon. I know, I love the dog's name. <laughs> uh, also, warning in advance, there are French names. I'm going to mispronounce these names <laughs> appallingly. But uh, Aubrey de Montdidier, uh, falling down at the first hurdle. Uh, is it Didier? Montdidier. Oh yeah, so it's just... You can just say Montdidier. Montdidier. Audrey de Montdidier, I'm just going to call him Aubrey, uh, was a member of the King's Guard. He was considered quite a handsome man. People would often look at their windows as he was passing, but not so much because of him, but because of his dog. Aubrey had a beautiful deer hound called Dragon. The dog was tall, strong, fierce, incredibly loyal to its master, but also gentle. Children could come up and pet his nose. No one feared Dragon, for they knew he would only attack when his master commanded. Now, while many loved Aubrey, there was one who did not. Maclair. Maclair was also a member of the King's Guard, and there had been a rival between him and Aubrey. Some say it was rival over a woman, some say over political position, some say the two men just saw each other and didn't like each other. But for whatever reason, 
Maclaire was plotting against Aubrey. The problem was that where Aubrey went, the dog went. The dog slept at the foot of his bed, sat at his table, accompanied him everywhere, and this dog would defend its master. But one day, Maclaire knew that Aubrey would be travelling through the woods. And it's a dangerous place to travel through the woods. It's full of brigands, full of dark corners and twists. And so Maclaire waited. He had a cudgel. He knew that rounding the bend for one second, rider and dog would be out of each other's sight. And Squire is snoring. <laughs> and so in that brief second, when they could not see each other, Maclaire leapt out and with a great club crashed it down on Dragon's head. He then sprang on Aubrey, who was taken aback. He didn't have time to defend himself before he was knocked from his horse and his head stoved in. When the poor dog woke up later, he could not find his master. But he, he could scent him, and he followed the scent. The scent led him to a patch of freshly turned earth, and Dragon knew his master was dead. The poor dog lay down and set up such a terrible howling that it echoed all through the woods, through the towns and villages for miles around. People shuddered in their beds, thinking that perhaps a grim was prowling or some mournful ghost. No one went to comfort the poor dog. When he had howled all he could, Dragon, still dizzy from his head wound, set off for Paris. He found the friends of Aubrey, scratched at their door, howled and moaned. Last someone poked their head out the window and recognised Dragon and thought, where's, where's Aubrey? They rushed down. They saw that the dog was wounded and they tried to bring him in. The dra dog wouldn't. Dragon, he kept turning to them, picking up the hems of their clothes in his teeth, pulling, and they knew he wanted them to follow, and, and so they did. They followed the dog out into the streets. The dog would stop every so often, turn around, check they were still following. The dog led them to the woods, and there they found the grave of Dragon's master. They dug up the body, took it back to Paris, and he was buried. Dragon mourned his master, but he attached himself to Aubrey's friends. They were all more than happy to look after the dog, but Dragon's tail never wagged. He walked sadly with his head down. But one day, when a procession of the King's Guard was going by, Dragon's head suddenly shot up, and like an arrow from a bow, he sprung at one of the riders, dragged him down off his horse, snarling ferociously. Heffern ran, and they just managed to pull Dragon off before he tore the man's throat out. That beast! That thing should be killed, taken away. It's not fit for society. But Heffern called out, no, no, Dragon's never done anything like this. The man, who was Maclare, tried to kick Dragon, but Dragon was too quick. He was still growling. This happened again. Dragon saw Maclare passing by, leapt out, and again tried to tear his throat. People began to think this was a bit suspicious. They all knew that Dragon's master, Aubrey, had been murdered. They all knew Dragon was normally a wonderfully tame, obedient hound. And word of this eventually came to the ears of the king. Charles V, Charles the Good, and Charles the Good, well, he couldn't have these whispers going around that a captain of his guards had murdered another. But this, unfortunately, was not a matter that could come to the court. So the king summoned Maclare, summoned Aubrey's friends with the dog dragon, and decreed that the dog had accused Maclare of murder. And Maclare said, well, you, you, you have to be serious. This, a dog cannot accuse a man of murder. You, you, you would have this dog stand in the witness box and give testimony. But the king said no trial by combat, for this was the 14th century. And so the two men, well, the man and dog, met in the arena. 
Maclare was allowed to wear his armour but not bring his sword, so instead he brought a large stick. Dragon was armed only with his teeth, but they had set a large empty barrel that he might nip into if he needed shelter. The king gave the sign and the battle between the two commenced. Maclare, he tried to stove in Dragon's head just as he had stoved in his master, but Dragon was too quick. He darted this way, that way. He managed to pounce, pin Maclare to the ground, snowling at his face. Maclare, he feared for a slice, screamed, oh, I confess, I confess, I confess, I did it, just get this thing off me. The men ran out. They dragged Dragon away, still snarling. And the king decreed the trial was over. Dragon had accused the man who had murdered his master, and Maclare would be hung on the gallows. And they say this is a true story. That once a dog accused a man of murder, faced him in trial by combat, and won justice. <laughs> Wonderful. Though I'm suddenly going, is that a forced confession? <laughs> yeah, I suppose trial by combat is a weird <clears throat> is a weird thing. Uh, but the story it became very popular. It um mm. like it was like first I think recounted just as like a small paragraph in a a letter someone was writing oh. because just like oh interesting thing that happened. Uh, th- th- <laughs> There was, a, there was a trial with a dog. Um, but then it got turned into a melodrama in the mm. early 19th century. I mean, it's very good as yeah. a melodrama. But it was a, it was a stage play starring a dog. They actually had a yeah, dog. They actually had a dog, like a trained dog to like cook up and like ring bells and you where to be on at different oh, fantastic. points. fantastic. And apparently this play was so successful with the dog in the lead that I did a lot um, to help prevent animal cruelty and like get some legislation because people were something like that dog that dog is such a good dog yeah and it shows the intelligence as well that you can train that way yeah and also the like the loyalty that Mm. the the dog will go out and seek vengeance and like there's the story of like Greyfriars Bobby the dog who lay on his master's grave yeah so so dogs are fabulous Mm. dogs are amazing also i'd like to describe what happened when you started describing at the beginning of the story Mm. dragon and how great Mm. he was and how handsome he was and how um a good doggo he was suddenly squire just perked up and was like (laughs) what did someone call (laughs) properly responded to that yeah i mean i i love squire to bits i i am sure if i was murdered and he was the only witness he would do his best to to get justice but uh, oh yeah I mean, like, myself and Squire would be a great yeah. duo for oh, that, yeah. I think. But, but, I mean, he, he, I, I wouldn't want him in a trial by combat. I mean, Squire is a beautiful dog, but he's he's a lover, not a fighter. Yes, definitely. You know he could fight if he needed to, yeah. but, yeah. Sometimes when we, we take them out for when I take them out for walks, they, they sort of get into, like, a pack mentality. They're, they're running around the place. But if another dog comes up, particularly if it's a larger male dog, Squire just starts to bark if they start showing interest in the others. Mm. Which... It's kind of like he's making up for his size with volume. Yeah. And it's sort of... I have mixed feelings about it because sometimes it is he's, like, defending them because the other dog has decided, ooh, Mimi and Bunbury seem mm. like nice lady dogs and I'm <laughs> going to try to jump up on them, which they don't like. Uh, and other times it's like Squire is very annoying, very embarrassing and slightly toxic. Stop. Uh. You can be friends with others. You don't need to, like, assert your masculinity. Mm. Like they, they can have other male dog friends. Yeah. Squire, we need to have a, we need to have a chat about... Um, how society has informed yeah. how you relate to your gender. Yeah. <laughs> it's good most of the time. <clears throat> He's my little sweetheart. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, these stories come up time and after. What's that phrase? Time and again. I think so. Time after time. Oh, that's a song. My brain's gonna run away now. About yeah, the the loyalty of dogs and and how it's always that thing of like you know you treat your dog well, your yeah. your dog will 
be entirely loyal to you. Because mm. um, I think, yeah, when I was looking up sort of just like ideas for today and I found some interesting sort of mythological figures of, of sort of dog-like characters, but like it was very difficult, particularly with um, stories from other countries. Like I was looking at one from um, Catalonia to find like an actual account, like a description mm. um, of them. And I will admit actually after a bit more research about the, um, I don't know how to pronounce this because I don't speak the Catalonian version of Spanish. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. Um, the Pasanta or something? So um, it, so after a bit of research, I realised it cannot appear as a dog or a cat. Oh. Um, but um, stick with dog for today. <laughs> Maybe this will be the, the, the creature that will, will mend this fence between Orla and I. Um, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you ever get sleep paralysis? I have once or twice. I used to actually get it as a child, but I didn't know oh. what it was. But I've had it uh, about twice as an adult Mm-hmm. And once I freaked out, and the second time I was like, "This is sleep paralysis. Mm. This is what's going on." Well, don't worry; it's not actually sleep paralysis. It's the pasanta. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant! That, you know, that, really going to put your that, mind that makes, at rest. That, yeah, that'll make me rest easy. <laughs> well, like, um, so I mean, to be honest, now I so I was looking at the Encyclopedia of Beasts and Monsters in Myth, Legend, and Folklore by Teresa Bain because <clears throat> there was a sort of like a sort of wiki, a sort of page, but it wasn't. Mm. It was sort of like not a very. Um, sort of direct translation it was a bit mm. difficult to, to comprehend but in this in this encyclopedia it just says in catalonian mythology Ca- oh that, that was, was a, a snore and a half so th- that's mimi <laughs> they've got short snouts so they do snore a lot no bless them they're impressive snorers yeah they look so cozy i want a nap no because the pasanta right <laughs> in catalonian mythology the pasanta is a species of um, alp, so it's kind of related to the. Ger- I think it was a German sort of creature that's kind of a shapeshifter. I, I didn't look too much into that because it wasn't specifically doggos. Um, but assuming the form of a gigantic black cat or dog, it sits upon a person's chest at night while they sleep, causing nightmares while it crushes their chest, making breathing extremely difficult. And from what I was trying to sort of look at from various sources that I'm not sure how reliable or unreliable were, is that it, it sometimes also it has like metal claws oh. or feet and it's kind of got holes in them so it, it can't hold on to anything it can't oh. really paw at anything oh. and it, I suppose it must make it heavier as well mm. and it's this thing that it only ever comes out at night and will sort of slink into people's homes through like the keyhole or under yeah. a door and if someone wakes up while they, they have the pasant mm. on their chest they'll never see it because mm. it's so quick so the the, the the sort of from um, looking at accounts of people having said that they they have had the pasant on their chest is the only thing they'll ever see is like just a shadow Ooh. as it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Which is a thing that a lot of people with sleep paralysis do report seeing oh. sort of shadows moving. It's because like your your mind you're just coming out of REM sleep, but you're sort of the button to make sure you don't act out your dreams hasn't been flipped. <laughs> yeah. So you you can sometimes see things that aren't there because mm. your your brain is still slightly dreaming. I've only had that with there was one time I woke up from a nap yeah I like naps um and there were spiders everywhere I have never had any form of sort of like I don't get sleep paralysis um I've never really hallucinated anything uh visually or hourly um auditorily I don't know um but yeah spiders all over the place just for a split second and it was horrifying because I'd never had that before so for a moment I was like what? And then luckily a few of my friends um, have sort of like more interesting sleep patterns than me. So I was like, oh, cool. I've only had the sleep paralysis as an adult twice. Oh yeah. Um, One time I, uh, just before it came, I had been having a dream where someone had smothered me with a pillow. Oh God. And then I woke up and I was lying on my bed and there was a pillow there and I was like, 
Oh God, am I dead? Oh jeez, no. Am I, 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 I can't move. Help. Oh, oh wait, hang on. This is, oh, this is sleep paralysis. This is going to pass in a second. It'll be grand. But for those first few seconds. So it was sort of, it was a sort of almost disappointment. Like, this is the afterlife. Oh, it's so mediocre. <laughs> I'm just lying on my bed. Mm. And then the sort of terror, like, oh, God, what if, like, you are stuck in your body when you die? Jeez. And, like, as it decomposes around mm. you. You just watch that. Yeah. yeah. And can you, like, um, sorry, I know it's a tangent, but I'm fascinated. Um, can you, do you still have, like, physical sensation? Like, could you still feel, like, the sheet um, against I, your skin? My, my limbs just felt so heavy. Mm. Um, so I guess if you couldn't move, which you is why really like know. sort of like breathing did, you could not feel like there was a weight on your chest because oh. it sort of it is a labour to and breathe since like someone's mm. pinning like it was like my bones had turned to lead or something. Oh, I can understand that. Like because obviously when you're in sleep, you know you're you're mm. you breathe very sort of slowly yeah. and yeah. deeply. Whereas if you were to wake up, you go back to that sort of like I breathe like this, yeah. and your body doesn't catch up. Ooh. Yeah. I um, sometimes stop breathing in my sleep. Oh, um, but I, sleep I, apnea? I think so. I've never talked to a doctor about it. Um, maybe do. Cause <laughs> I that's... always wake up though, because. But maybe talk to a doctor <laughs> just in case there's that one time you don't wake yeah, up. Yeah, true, true. No, it's just like I sometimes have this thing where like I wake up and it's like, <gasps> you know, it's like I, I just I've gone too long without breathing and my body's like, oh god, what are we doing? <laughs> and I draw a huge breath and I wake myself up doing it and it's like, oh. Oh, it was that thing again. Yeah. Um, sorry, guys, didn't mean to dump that <laughs> on the audience. Um, <laughs> fine. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of cultures do have stories of, you know, the thing that comes in the night and sits in your chest. Mm. So it's um, any Harry Potter fans. The word Hagrid's name mm. comes from the phrase Hagridden, which is what people used to think that was that oh. hags and witches would come, and they would ride your soul in the night. So oh. that would that would bring you nightmares, and that would bring you that sort of that feeling of something being sitting on your chest. I think that's what the Alp thing was relating to. Actually, I do yeah. know they were talking about hags. Actually, yeah. oh, intriguing. And there's okay. loads of things like you know, succubus and incubus and various demons. Mm. They'll do that as well. Uh, certain types of vampires. Yeah. All sorts of weird things in the night will come and just sit in your chest. Yeah. Go, eh. <laughs> <laughs> God, because it's definitely like. Um, Oh no, I'm talking about cats mm. now, but I d- definitely know cats and I'd say small oh, yeah. dogs would, would love oh, yeah. to. Because that's where your heart is, so yeah, I presume like, there's warmth if, there. Like if, if I like, again on naps, if I like decide to like lie down on the couch and take a nap, mm. um, they'll, they'll all hop up and like, and then we end up having like one on my lap, one on my stomach, one on my chest. Yeah. Uh, and it can sometimes get a bit difficult to breathe, but that's when they decide to sit on my face and I've just got fur. Yes, and this is the danger when it comes to small children yeah. as well. Because I know my parents... Um, I think we covered. I covered this in the cat podcast. Was that um, they got they were very very strict mm. about you know no cats upstairs, no dogs really upstairs mm. either. But particularly in the nighttime. Um, but my sister once left open her window, and the cat fell asleep around my head. Now I didn't know. I was having a great dream where it was snowing, and I just climbed a tree, and then there was an earthquake. Everything <laughs> was shaking, and I woke up, and the cat was just purring around my head. Oh. This cat was not a friendly cat. Oh. Never purred. It was very vicious. It mm. came with the house. Oh. It was a strange house. So we moved to Cork, but um, but yeah, it was happily purring away. Um, yeah, and then I freaked out and probably screamed and it ran off. Yeah. Mm. My mum wouldn't let us have a cat. Well, probably because we had a dog growing up. But mm. um, she said no cats will steal a baby's breath. Oh, that, that was the phrase that they will steal the baby's breath, which just stuck in my head. Wow, that also reminded me of like baby's breath flower. You know, there's oh, like those tiny nice. when you like get a bouquet of flowers, sort of, like those tiny little white blossomy things that are sort of there to fill space. Oh, they're called baby's breath, or that's one of their names. That's intriguing. I didn't know that. Slightly horrifying. Yeah. 
how many babies did you have to harvest for that bouquet? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if it's like, you know, like when your breath mm. goes out and it sort of con- in condensation. The condensation, yeah. And it's just up to a certain age, it sort of goes out and it gets stuck on grass and it becomes this flower. Oh, beautiful. Now that is <laughs> or at least lovely. that's the image I want to keep. Yeah. yeah. Not the baby's last breath. Yeah. yeah there yeah. we go. Yeah. Gorgeous. So, famous Irish dog story. Yes. A story Irish? about a dog and a hero. Not the story of how Cullen <laughs> got his name. Because <laughs> that, that's a sad story because the dog dies. Yeah, no, shh. Yeah, we don't talk about So that. this comes from, I'm just opening the book, um, Over Nine Waves, a book of Irish legends by Marie Heaney. It's a brilliant book for Irish myths and legends. Gives you the basic of three of the four cycles in a very readable way. Because, like, Yeats and Gregory sometimes get it I got lost in the genealogy of the first paragraph. Yeah. Who is yeah. the son of who is the son of Yoke is the son of what is the son of Eith? This is how, like, it's unfortunate that I actually don't know. I'm not that familiar with yeah. Yeats and Lady Gregory because, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, Yeats, great poet, not so good with the prose. Have you ever been to that exhibition in the National Library? I have. I was there when it, like, first opened. Intriguing. It's, yeah, it was really yeah. cool. Yeah, because um, they did the Yeats Allowed contest and our school took part in that. Oh, wow. Was basically reciting Yeats poetry. Oh, poor you. No, I'm sorry. I, I actually, sorry, Tanzania. I love uh, He Wishes for the Cloths of Heaven. I know. But it was interesting that when they had like an original almost mm. like postcard where he'd written that. Mm. Um, sorry, dogs. I know I'm stealing the limelight mm. again. But see, there's an interesting line um, towards the end that says, um, I think it's tread softly. For you tread on my dreams. This is the thing. So I remember when I was studying it for the junior search, mm. it was tread softly. Because You Tread on My Dreams was how it was printed in the book that I had. I need to look more into this, but um, on the postcard where he originally wrote it, it said four. And when you say it, four comes more naturally to the tongue. But if you think about it, it's that unreciprocated love or or whatever the phrase is. And tread softly because it jars slightly and it makes it more, you know, like, no, seriously, please be careful with me. This isn't romantic. This is actually... Yeah. my feelings hmm. yeah sorry anyway that's an interesting one <laughs> yeah yeah not so great at prose um also not so great at romance <laughs> that's another podcast. yeah oh god like we, we should just do a whole podcast on yates yates's view of uh fairies legends and the occult and yates's relationships with women oh his honeymoon yeah oh, that gosh. was a fun one <laughs> i mean like very freudian yeah yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. literally like he sort of read the book read freud and was like okay this is this is how i am going to act it's like two things i really dislike freud and yates <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean good poetry I, he wasn't the worst human mm. he wasn't the worst human but he, he, how he conducted his romantic relationships wasn't even for the time wasn't the most just, respectful yeah i mean he didn't rape anyone yeah, that's something we can say. Which, like, again, as as increasingly as we discover about people, that's it's a low bar, but you know, at least he passes it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he was he was a bit of a creep sometimes, but he didn't rape anyone. <laughs> it's weird that that's the bar. Oh, oh God, I don't know if I'm going to edit that bit out or not. Doggos. Dogs. <laughs> yes. So yes, the Fiona. We may have. I I will be opening this book when I need to consult for people's names because I can't remember names. So the Fianna, the great warriors, poets of Ireland, whose motto was purity of heart, strength of limb, may our words always match our deeds, which is a pretty good motto. Um, They were led by Fionn McCool, who we may have mentioned before. And when Fionn became the leader of the Fianna, he he had them take a couple extra oaths. Oaths about loyalty, oaths about, you know, if someone killed your family, how could you take revenge? But also an oath that 
If any woman came to you asking for your aid and protection, you must give it to her. It doesn't matter if she's the kin of your enemy. It doesn't matter if she yesterday was trying to attack you with a sword. If a woman asks you for her, your protection, you must give it to her. And well, there's a number of reasons Fionn made this oath. Uh, but one was that his mother, well, when his mother and his father got together, um, there was, you know, a bit of treachery and betrayal and his father was killed and his mother had to run off into exile and gave birth in the middle of the wilderness. And Fun. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons Fionn was making this oath was that his mother at the time couldn't turn to the men of the Fiona because a number of the men of the Fiona were trying to kill her. So he made this sort of oath as, almost to make up for it. But Fionn had a sister called Churin. And she was his younger sister and he, he, was, he was quite the protective big brother. So all the men of the Fianna were very aware of this, aware of both the oath to protect women and the fact that if anyone looked the wrong way at Turin, Fionn would kill them. This meant Turin didn't, didn't have a lot of boyfriends. She, uh, she was a very, very nice, very attractive young woman. And there were a couple of men, both of the Fianna and not, who, who would have liked to go and have a, maybe have a private conversation with her, but they were too frightened of Fionn. There was all but one man. There was only one man who was confident enough in the whole of Ireland to try to woo Turin, and his name was Olland. Olland was from Ulster, and he came down, met her, swaggered over, gave her his best shut-up line, and well, Turin was just so kind of overcome with the attention that she sort of didn't know what to say, but she was really happy and kind of giggly. <laughs> and she went to Fionn and said, Fionn, look, I really like him. Please don't scare him off. Please, you don't, you know, don't come out with like your your big sword and your thing and do the like you usually do. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and Fionn was like, mm, 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 fine, but you two, like, you can go off and get married and do whatever you like. But if he ever hurts you, if he ever darkens the sunlight in your life, I am going to skin him alive, cut his head from his body, plant it on a pole, and feed him his own entrails. And she was like. Okay, um, that sounds fair. And Donald was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll never hurt your sister, Fionn. We're going to go get married. Everything will be fine. She'll come to Ulster with me. You can come and visit. And Fionn was still a bit suspicious. So he said, and what's more, you're to promise that if I ever ask for my sister to come and see me, she has to come. You can't deny her entrance. And I could just, I might have a suspicion or I just might want to see her. But if you, I send word that I want to see my sister, my sister is to come and see me. Understand? And Donald was like, yep. Yeah, you know, I understand you're, you're trying to protect your family. And Turin was thinking, you're being a bit overprotective, <laughs> a little bit territorial, but you, you mean it from a good place. And so Olland and Turin went off and got married and Fionn went off doing Adventures of the Fiona. <laughs> There's only one slight problem. Olland, uh, well, before he and Turin started making eyes at each other, he had been involved with a fairy woman. Now, fairies, they will often take mortal lovers They'll sometimes even grant their lovers gifts of poetry or beauty. But for fairies, time moves differently. Ulland hadn't seen his fairy lover for a number of months, and he assumed that well, that meant the relationship was over. But a couple months can pass in the mortal world and but a day in the fairy world. So when she returned and saw that her man was shacking up with another woman, she was not best pleased. And they say that hell hath no fury like a woman's score. <laughs> hell is nothing compared to a scorned fairy. Yeah. But unfortunately, as sometimes seems to be the way, 
rather than taking her wrath out on Ulland, who had, uh, after all, been the one to betray her, the fairy woman turned her ire on Turin. One day, when Ulland was out doing something, <laughs> the fairy woman came, called, and disguised herself as a mortal, said that Fionn McCool wished for his sister to come. Turin thought, oh, all right, better go. She packed up her stuff and she went to leave, but as soon as they were out of sight of the house, the fairy woman transformed back into her true form, took out from beneath her cloak a hazel wand and hit Turin on the head. Turin suddenly began to feel very strange. She felt like her bones were being compressed, like her, her jaw was growing longer. She seemed to have more teeth than she had before, and at the base of her spine, something, something was growing. And when the transformation was finished, where Turin, the beautiful woman, had stood, now stood a small brown dog. But the dog still had the beautiful brown eyes of Turin. The dog looked up and whined. The fairy woman laughed. She threw a rope around the dog's neck and began to yank it. Yank it all the way to Connacht, which is in the sort of east. West, west, west. It's in the west. <laughs> it's in the west. Never eat shredded wheat. Where there lives a man, if I can find his name, I will find. Where there lived a man called Conan. And Conan was known far and wide for his hatred of dogs. If he even saw a dog, he'd kick it. He instructed all of his servants. If any dog came near his home, they were to throw stones at it. Mimi is looking slightly it's perturbed. It's okay, Mimi. It's all right. <laughs> and so the fairy woman took Turin the dog to his house. Again, disguised as a messenger from Fionn McCool, knocked on the door and said, Fionn wants you to look after this dog. Personally. With your own two hands. And then she left. Turin the dog sat in a corner and started to shiver and moan and whimper because she knew that she was a dog and Conan really didn't like dogs. Conan himself was furious because he had a dog in his house and he didn't want a dog in his house and he couldn't get the thing to shut up. So he called one of his servants and said, I've got a dog. How do I make it be quiet? If I cut off its head, will that make it shut up? And the servant said, um, well, I'm sure it would be quieter without its head, but... I somehow don't think Fionn McCool would, uh, would reckon that's taking care of his dog. And Conan was weighing up his hatred of dogs versus his fear of Fionn McCool being cross. And he said, he wouldn't, fine. Well, what do I do? How do I make it be quiet? And he said, the servant said, well, you could, uh, if you tried petting it, maybe <laughs> give it a belly rub. And Conan went very reluctantly over and stretched his hand out and started to pat the dog. And the dog got a bit quieter. And the dog moved over to him and started to lean against him. He's like, what's it, what's it doing? And the servant said, I think, I think it's trying to nuzzle you. <laughs> maybe, maybe pick it up, cuddle it. And Conan picked up the small dog and sort of, he was more used to picking up cats, so it took him a while to work out how to, how to pick up a dog. And he looked down into its big brown eyes and his heart melted. Oh, and from that moment, he was never without the dog. The dog <laughs> stepped at the foot of his bed. He, he had the dog sit on a chair at the table, eat from his own plate. They went everywhere. They, they went everywhere together, and it was brilliant, except uh, Fionn. Well, he was wondering where his sister was, because he hadn't seen her in a while. He thought he'd, he'd go up and, and visit her. And he sent a message to Ulland, saying, Ulland, uh, I'm coming up to visit you in Turin. Um, I'll be there with some men of the Fiona. If you could put us up, that'd be great. And Ellen went into a panic because he couldn't find Turin anywhere. <laughs> he'd come home one day and she was gone. And he thought she'd gone back to her brother, but if her brother was coming here to see her, then probably not. And he searched everywhere. Couldn't find her. At last, when he exhausted all possibilities, he went to the fairy mound where he used to meet his fairy, 
lady. Uh, and he called out with a special call they'd always used to communicate because he thought, well, fairies, they go all over the place. They know stuff. Maybe they know where she is. The fairy woman appeared, crossed her arms and said, well, look who's come crawling back to me. And Olam said, please, I've got to find my wife, Churn, because Fionn McCool, he's coming. And if he finds his, his wife is gone, he's going to think I've done something to her and he's going to kill me. He's going to put my head in a spike. He's going to feed me my own guts. Please, please help me. <laughs> and the fairy woman said, well, I could help you. I could save your head. But if I save your head, well, then it should rightfully belong to me. So you've got a choice. You can face Fionn McCool be cut down into bits, or you can be mine. Heart, body, and soul. Come with me to the fairy world. <laughs> well, I can do with you what I will. And Olland, he was caught between a rock and a hard place, but he said he would go with the fairy woman if she could She could bring him to Turin. And the fairy woman, she clipped her fingers, and Fionn found himself suddenly standing there by the fairy mouth. And then she, <laughs> and then she clicked the fingers on the other hand, and all three of them were standing outside Conan's house. Conan came out to see them with the little brown dog. When the little brown dog saw Fionn, she leapt towards him and began to jump up and lick his face. And it was, and well, they all recognised her eyes. It was Churin. The fairy woman took out her wand, tapped Churin on the nose. She grew back into a woman. Fionn gave her a cloak because she wasn't wearing any clothes and didn't have any fur anymore. <laughs> and Ulland and the fairy woman disappeared. And whatever happened to him in the fairy world, no one really knows. But there was a slight problem. You see, um... While as a dog, Jern had given birth. Now, I'm not certain if she was pregnant at the time of her transformation or if she became pregnant while a dog. But either way, she'd given birth to two puppies. And there was a bit of you know, a problem going on because, well, what, what should they do? They'd been born as dogs. Should they leave them as dogs? Should they turn them back into humans? And they decided, well, we should probably ask them. And the two puppies, who were very, very sensible puppies... <laughs> They considered the matter and they decided they would stay as dogs because they'd seen all of the nonsense these humans got up to and they figured dogs had a better time of it. And these dogs were Bran and Shkolan, who joined their uncle Fionnmacool in the Fianna. They were the bravest, most loyal members of the Fianna and it was said that these dogs had as much sense as a man and more sense than most. But Conan, everyone else had got a happy ending, but he was a bit bereaved because, I mean, Churn was a lovely woman, but she wasn't his dog. But a few years later, Shkiolon, the bitch of the two, had puppies of her own. And most of the puppies were fearsome hounds to fight and go on adventures, but there was one who was a bit smaller. Oh. Had big brown eyes, a little wet nose, really soft fur. And they sent this puppy to Conan, and it became his bosom companion. Oh. Slept at his bed ate off his table, and went everywhere with them. So, that's Oh, a I'm just melting it down. Yeah, that's the story of the birth of Bran and Shkolon. This is Emily from two days after we recorded this. Uh, just with a quick correction, the man who Churn stayed with, his name wasn't uh, Conan, it was Fergus. I don't know why I thought in my head that his name was Conan. I think I just saw the name Conan on the page when they were referring to someone else and... My brain did a blip, but his name was Fergus, not Conan. Uh, there's another story, though, that claims that like Brown and Shkolon weren't actually litter mates, that Shkolon was Fionn's niece, but he, he found Bran on a different mad adventure. <laughs> 
He had no shortage of those. Yeah. Yeah. But those sweet little things. Apologies, my tummy is rumbling. Oh. <laughs> blame, blame the dogs. They're, they're snoring quite loudly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you guys. Yeah, definitely not me. <laughs> yeah. And the museum on uh, on World Dog Day, Squire, oh, yeah. Squire came into the museum, the Leprechaun Museum where we work. Oh, well, Deirdre, Sean and I, you don't work there yet. <laughs> yeah, but we, um, we brought squire in for world dog day and he uh he was carried around in a basket with Aww. me on the tours because he, squire when he has his lead on he thinks it's walk time oh and he will bark at me if i'm not hurrying up so I, he had his lead but we had we had lots of sort of large wicker baskets so we put a blanket in one and we put him in it and he oh, he fit perfectly and he was such a good boy and we told all sorts of stories about dogs that's lovely. How did people react? Um, well, we'd advertised it on like the Twitter and stuff, and like we told people coming in that like these tours will have a dog in it, just mm. like in case of someone who was allergic to dogs or frightened of yeah. dogs. Um, but people reacted quite quite happily. Like he got lots of pets, oh. lots of pets and strokes. And on one of them, there were two girls. Uh, they were there with their dad. Um, I don't know what age they were. Maybe like eight and twelve. Mm. But they they sat next to him the whole time and oh. just kept petting him. He's and so soft. He is so soft. He's like a cashmere teddy bear. Mm-hmm. But I have a strong suspicion that when they went home, they were having the conversation of, can we get a dog? Because every, ch- every child should have a dog. Or at least have access to one. Yeah, because yeah. they're, they're just so good. So I think it's one of those really sad things of like, well, yeah, I mean, like I live in an apartment mm. in Dublin and like we can't really have animals. Mm. Maybe I could have a goldfish. Oh. Um, don't know if I really want a goldfish. Um, so yeah, I'm lucky. Emily very kindly lets uh, myself and the other girls cuddle the doggos here. But I mean, yeah, especially in a city centre where, you know, and, and nowadays as well, we use so many, you know, standard family. It's difficult because, mm. you know, both parents are working nine to five or, you know, maybe they do night shifts as well. And Well, some jobs will let you bring your dog. Some. <laughs> I, th- I think it's becoming more more common. Like, okay. I am noticing that more restaurants and things and cafes are becoming dog friendly. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. My boss brings his dog to work sometimes. Oh, good. Oh, is that toast? Toast. <laughs> I've heard a lot yes. about toast. Yes. Though in other European cities, they, I, they're very much apartments in the city centres, but people mm. still have dogs in their apartments. Yeah, I think, um, no, I have heard about that. Maybe it's where, like, well, the thing is, with other European cities, they're used to apartments. Apartments have like they're a more standard thing. Yeah. Whereas here, I mean, guys, I was talking, I was listening to the radio. I wasn't talking on the radio this morning about, um, you know, they were talking about uh, congestion when mm. it comes to rush hour and stuff, and they were saying, well, you know, one of the solutions is building high rise blocks near the city centre, so mm. less people are commuting. Yeah. Um, but they need to build like decent sized apartments yeah. where you could actually fit a family. Mm. But any apartment blocks yeah. that I've seen going up around the place have been quite small or yeah. um it's yeah. because you know the developers they want to get you know maximum bang for their buck yeah these are small luxury apartments yeah. or the co-living things which definitely i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say you could have any animals in those yeah yeah that's pretty because they are good for you yeah they bring down your blood pressure they do yeah yes and they were there was a program um where they were bringing dogs into old age homes and things and people you know having them pet and it was very good for them particularly people with, uh, who were suffering from memory issues, yeah. dementia, you know, it helped them. But also into schools, mm. into primary schools, uh, for reading with dogs. Because, like, as someone who's dyslexic, I know, learning to read was difficult. Yeah. And you sort of, you, you have to practice to get better at it. But it can be very frightening and intimidating to have to read aloud in front of someone, particularly in your class. I used to go into, like, a cold sweat if I had to read aloud. I'm not surprised, yeah. 
but they were doing things where you know they bring dog in and the kids would like in like the library space you know you'd have your turn like petting the dog and you'd reach to the dog mm. because the dog doesn't care if it takes you a while or if you have to sound out a word or if you have to read the sentence two or three times yeah and, and they they don't mind they're just happy to be to be there and getting your attention and they found that the children who were reading with the dogs were doing much better than the ones who weren't amazing it was they were the, the dog helped them feel more relaxed more mm. safe uh, obviously these were children who weren't frightened of dogs I think mm. it would have probably not worked quite well if the children had been frightened of dogs yeah uh, but it was it was great what a wonderful idea because it's also because um, like you know I'm lucky in that I um, I, I like I don't have dyslexia well I <laughs> well I have ADHD which means sometimes I struggle with reading and getting schoolwork done mm. uh, for other reasons but I I guess I can empathise so much as I can understand that when you kind of have one of those one-on-ones with a mm. teacher even, where it's like, you know exactly how much you need to do yeah. with the tasks that you need to do. And yeah. you know that for some reason, you're going to probably tell yourself it's because you're stupid, even though you're not. Yeah. You can't seem to do this thing. Mm. And there's this intense, stressful situation mm. and expectation and the shame as well mm. when it goes wrong. Um, that's not, what's the word? Like, it's not the right environment. It's not a nurturing mm. environment that facilitates you to learn. When you stress out like that, your brain probably shuts down those yeah. pathways. Whereas when you're there and there's the positive reinforcement of just yeah. like a dog yeah. and you don't have to worry, you can just sound those words out to yourself yeah. and take your time. And yeah, as you yeah. said, comfortable and safe. Like that one is going to help with that learning, but also encourage those kids. Yeah, I want to do more of this. Yeah. If they do want to. Yeah. yeah. And I just think, for, for like things like fear of dogs, children who, if you don't see dogs much, you're more likely to be frightened of them. Yeah. Whereas if you sort of get to, and also know how to like handle dogs. Mm. And like, no, like, don't pull its ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, I think dogs should be, there should be dogs everywhere. And there should be more like companion dogs. Yeah. And things, because with a lot, I, I watched this brilliant series on Channel 4 ages ago, uh, Rescue Dog to Super Dog. Oh, wonderful. Which was where there the were, in each episode, there was various people who, for different reasons, needed a companion aid disability dog. Like one one woman, she had narcolepsy, oh. which meant she would just mm. fall asleep suddenly. And so she, the idea was to have a dog that could, if she fell into one of the things, could stay with her and sort of like protect her, but also would be big enough that if she felt like a little sort of thing coming, she could lean and support mm-hmm. and just also to be there as sort of friendship companionship um so they found these various um dogs from shelters they matched them with them they trained them and it was just so like oh so that is beautiful and like there was a there was a man who had Tourette's and as well as having Tourette's it, it had made him feel very isolated yeah um which had caused huge depression and so the dog was trained to like do various things like remind him to take his meds and remind to like get him up in the morning mm-hmm. but going out walking the dog he found people were more likely to come up and talk to him mm. and so through having the dog he like rebuilt his his social network oh, and sort of made lots of new friends and the dog was always there like if he was having a bad day the dog the dog didn't care the dog just was there to comfort yeah. yeah and even like I know I sometimes get a little bit of like a, a head twitch which obviously is different to Tourette's but I know sometimes with those sort of things is sorry I say head twitch it's my neck more but if my anxiety is higher, I'm more likely to do it. And when you have a soothing thing like a dog, like I can imagine even just, yeah, that, that could also help, yeah. you know, if it was getting, you know, quite, quite, um, 
if I don't want to say episode of Tourette's it doesn't work yeah. like that but if he was fi- finding mm. that um it was um particularly vocal while he was yeah. out maybe just petting the dog for a little bit yeah. might oh, they, they are yeah. such soothing creatures and all they want to do is love you like yeah. there, are, there are no bad dogs there are only bad owners people who mistreat yeah. their dog and the dog learns learns aggression from them there's no such thing as a bad dog well Pesanta. no I'm joking <laughs> Clearly the Pisanta just had a really rough time. And they're also part cat, so... Yes, actually, you know what, yeah, you know Let's what? blame the cat. <laughs> those those few people who saw it as a dog, I mean, no one's seen it. Ah, so how would we even no. know? Mm-hmm. I think it's cats trying to give dogs a bad rep. Pisanta's <laughs> definitely would, a cat. That would be the type of thing they'd get up to, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I've just perpetuated it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Orla will be coming after us with uh, that about how, how we're... Sending her Pisanta after us. Yeah, we're... we're been mean to cats promoting anti-cat propaganda cats are wonderful um yeah <laughs> cats are cats cats <laughs> need we say more yeah they dogs are dogs yes they are so we're gonna leave you possibly to to go snuggle some dogs yes so thank you again thank, thank you. you hope you enjoyed some uh, some dog stories some dog facts some basantas and goodbye. Sleep oh, well. Oh, oh, yes, oh. I forgot the thing. <laughs> the thing? Uh, the thing I meant to do about, like, social media and how to get in contact. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a sleepy day, guys, yeah. sorry. So, yeah, um, we, we are reachable in many forms. We're on Twitter as Tales Shadows. We're on Instagram and Facebook as Tales from the Shadows. We're on Patreon if you really, really like us and would like to support us. <laughs> and thank you so much to the people who do support us it really thanks makes a you. difference honestly yeah. really appreciate and it we do have a big announcement coming just not yet oh can we say it can we say oh, no oh, not yet oh, not oh, yet oh, soon soon oh, we can say oh, it soon. soon yeah so keep listening keep an eye on our, our social medias and yes thank you thank you so much for listening thank you for giving us your time thank you thank you goodbye bye